You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. back, everyone, one final time in the 2016-2017 season for a true post-game episode of Locked on Rockets. This is the show where you get your daily fix for everything going on with the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and well, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast already knows by now, the Rockets took it on the chin in Game 6 of the second round series against the Spurs, 114-75 losers. They dropped the series 4-2 to and now go home while the Spurs advance to the Western Conference Finals to face the Warriors. Not a good game for anyone, uh, least of all James Harden. MVP caliber season, but ended with a dud, 10 points, uh, 6 turnovers, 6 fouls, 7 assists, 2 of 11 shooting. Other than that, folks, I'm not even going to mention the score or anyone's stat line in this podcast because it's pointless to even look at this game individually. This traces back to the end of Game 5 and the Rockets. It seemed evident from the jump tonight we're a mentally broken team. And it's fair to be angry about that, absolutely. The Rockets still were two games from the Western Conference Finals, one of them tonight being at home, the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard. So yeah, it is a bit of a missed opportunity. I'm not telling you guys not to be angry. But if you want to hear me you know, scream and yell and that kind of stuff, that's after Game 5. That was shocking. This... In a way, yes, it's disappointing. I'm not going to tell you guys to feel good. But for me, personally, that's why I had the tone I did after Game 5. Because when you go through something like they went through then, to see such a golden opportunity inexplicably go awry, many times it's tough to bounce back, especially just two days later. That's just the nature of sports. Uh, the, the Spurs got off to a quick start. And really, the Rockets, 75 points for the game, just 11 points in the fourth quarter. You could tell that when they took that punch, they were um, they were ready to call it a series. They knew that this was not their night and that this was not their series. And you can look at a lot of different angles with this. But I want to start with a more bigger picture thing, which is avoid the hot takes this isn't about Mike D'Antoni's style not translating to the playoffs. This isn't about, well, if only you'd snuck a few more minutes for Montrose Harrell or Sam Decker. This isn't about James Harden choking. It isn't anything like that. This wasn't about execution. This wasn't about X's and O's. This was bigger than that. This was a team that went out essentially expecting something bad to happen after Game 5. They never mentally recovered. And yeah, you can question the coach for that. You can question the star of the team and James Harden. That's absolutely fair. But let's not treat tonight like it's any sort of X's and O's or some sort of adjustment they should have made or that this is some sort of indictment uh, in, in terms of Pop versus D'Antoni or any of that kind of stuff. This is bigger than that. This was a Rockets team that just was not ready to play. They looked devastated from the jump. And the result was what I feared in my gut after Game 5. I said in that post-game show that logically I felt good that the Rockets, uh, there were plenty of paths for them to still win this series, especially Game 6. There were X's and O's where they did really well against the Spurs. Unfortunately, sometimes sports aren't about X's and O's. There are emotional punches that, especially just two days later, are really, really tough to recover from. 
and uh, the Rockets didn't. And it, it's fair to be upset about James Harden. It's fair to be upset about Mike D'Antoni. But they're not the first star and coach to uh, kind of lose a locker room in one game, especially after such a traumatic event like what happened in Game 5. And I'm sure they're not going to be the last. For me with the Rockets, my take is this. And something I said after Game 5, I'm honestly not that disappointed because in my gut... I know that it's been a while since we have seen the Rockets at tr truly an elite level. As I said after Game 5, it was really that six-week stretch for about late November after Pat Beverly rejoined the lineup until um, early January. They had a 10-game win streak and a 9-game win streak in there, and that was when Eric Gordon was playing at an almost all-star level, a legitimate number 2 to James Harden. The rest of the year, they've had... They, they've had very high highs. They've had peaks where for a game or two they found that, but they have not had nearly that level of consistency. And there are a lot of reasons you can throw out there for that, but I think the most obvious one is that, well, it's tough in the NBA to build a consistent winner given the high bar these days the likes of Golden State and Cleveland without a second all-star player, and the Rockets just don't really have one. They don't really have that consistency. Now, I know you can point to the Spurs and say, well, the Spurs are an example of culture overcoming all, and certainly you tip your hat to the Spurs. That culture showed through in this series. But if you're trying to make yourself the second coming of the Spurs, I have a big feeling that you're going to fail. That's not really a replicable model. The Spurs are a very, very unique, maybe the most unique uh, culture in the history of sports. That's something that's been bent, built excuse me, over 20 plus years. So I'm not going to use the Spurs and say, well, the Rockets just need to be doing that. And because they're not, that's some sort of huge failure on behalf of Harden, Mike D'Antoni, whoever it may be. That's a ridiculous bar. I think really with the Rockets, it's a talent issue. They've been inconsistent. And I think their style, how many threes they take and are so dependent, makes them a little bit uh, more prone to variability. Doesn't excuse game six, but again, I'm on the record saying I don't think game six had much at all to do with X's and O's or, quite frankly, who was on the court for the Rockets. It had to do with what happened at the end of game five. And maybe you could argue the end of game five had a little bit to do with uh, variability and stuff with the style the Rockets play. I don't know. Again, I don't have all the answers. I'm just thinking out loud just the same way a lot of you guys are because clearly the Rockets go into the offseason um, with a lot of questions. So many angles from this. I'll start with the Rockets' first thing. I threw out during the game that this felt an awful lot like seeing them mentally broken, not recover, and that after losing the final three regular season games to the Spurs, typically in a heartbreak fashion. It does feel a little bit like the 2015 um, Astros and 2016 Astros versus the Rangers in terms of um, the fact that the Spurs are in their heads. And that's tough to pull yourself out of. And what makes it difficult when you have a setting like that, sometimes you do uncharacteristic things, and maybe that's what happened at the end of Game 5. Maybe that's part of the explanation. I'm not sure. The good news is that, obviously, if you're going to go with that as a parallel, it is possible to pull yourselves out. The Astros are the best record in baseball. They've taken three or four from the Rangers. They have their swagger this season. So, yeah, you can pull yourself out. However, the Astros, they did make some pretty clear changes to the clubhouse, brought in some veteran leadership, guys like Carlos Beltran, uh, Brian McCann, Josh Reddick, and maybe that's part of what the Rockets need to do this offseason. Because outside of James, I'm not really sure who the secondary leader is. Maybe that's something you need to look at, getting a little bit more experience. I know the Rockets have a fairly experienced roster in terms of years in the NBA. They don't necessarily have 
that experience of a roster in terms of guys that have been deep in the playoffs and have been to war on true contenders that often. So maybe that's something that they could look at. I think that's uh, something that Nene seemed to value. Not that Nene's fully been on a true contender. Some of those Denver teams were pretty close. But, um, yeah, his veteran presence, his savvy, seemed to fit really well in that locker room. And maybe that's something else they need to, uh, to look at. More than anything, though, I think it's the talent. I think it's the lack of any kind of consistent secondary creator after Harden. Eric Gordon struggled in Game 6. That came after he was 4 of 13 in Game 5. His inconsistency, that that came after he was just downright brilliant in Game 4. That's been a big part of the problem down the stretch of the year. And Eric, at his age and with his, his injury history, it's not really fair to expect him to magically uh, become the guy people thought he was 4 or 5 years ago. Now, he can still be a really uh, productive player a nice role player, but you can't ask him to be that number two piece that you probably need to contend at a, um, well, championship level in the modern NBA. And that's something I want to keep hitting on is that that championship level, let's not act like the Rockets just disappointed us and were this perfect team. No, they were a team with one all-star player that somehow won 55 games in the Western Conference, won in five games in the first round. They overachieved all expectations. This is the team, knowing the roster, most people, even in Houston, picked them to win in the mid-40s, maybe upper 40s to 50, if you were optimistic, like me on this show. No one expected them to do this. So let's not turn around now and act like this is some abstract failure in terms of how could this possibly happen from a roster perspective. This this is not something where you lose a series in six games to a very good Spurs team that won 60 games and you say, oh, this is terrible. This is inexcusable. No, from a talent standpoint, the Rockets aren't at a point where you can be that arrogant. Now, you can be that upset, but it's because of the way it happened. It's not because simply that you lost. And so when you look at it, you have to look at the mental component, as I said first, are the Spurs in their heads. This has happened a lot this year, especially in close games against the Spurs. That tonight wasn't a close game, but as I said leading off the show, I'm not even talking uh, about tonight right now because tonight's game was over before the opening tip-off. I'm talking about Game 5 because that's when this was truly decided in the final minutes of regulation and then in overtime out in San Antonio. The other thing I want to discuss, a lot of people have said, well, how much does this change the narrative of the Rockets going into the offseason? How much does this take the shine off of what was such a feel-good season up until the last three days? And this is where I'm going to disagree with a lot of folks on Twitter. As badly as I felt after Game 5, as angry as I felt then and in the early going of Game 6, I think once time passes... I don't think around the NBA this is going to be seen as the abject failure that a lot of people feel like it is now. Because, folks, when you look around the league, whose narrative is good after ending the season? Look at the teams that you know are kind of in that mid-tier like the Rockets are. The Clippers, and they have two marquee free agents. They might end up blowing up the entire thing. The Clippers lost a home game seven to a Jazz team that wasn't very good. The Jazz got swept in four games against the Warriors. They led one game by 20 points at home and still blew it. The Thunder have the MVP of the league in Russell Westbrook. I still don't think he deserves it, but he's going to win it. Let's be real. And the Thunder lost in five games in the first round, and Westbrook was a walking nightmare in the fourth quarter in almost every game. The Raptors, led by Kyle Lowry, tied for the second-best record in the East, and they just got swept again by Cleveland. They seem to have no way to get over that hump. There is no team out there when you lose in an elimination setting 
that has that much of a feel-good narrative. Well, you know, we lost, but we feel like we're this close. No, when you lose, it's really tough. And then when the bar is as high as it is these days with the Warriors and Cavaliers, it always seems impossible. And there, by the way, I know the Rockets kind of mailed it in a little bit then. Well, folks, guess what? A lot of teams tend to mail it in when you know that it's your last game of the season. I'm not excusing it, but it happens. It's difficult to take. You shouldn't be happy as a sportsman, especially if you were a pay, if you were a paying customer tonight. Boy, I feel you. I thought the crowd was stunningly good in the second half, uh, given the discrepancy on the scoreboard. But folks, when it comes to projecting the narrative going forward, I really don't think the Rockets are in all that uh, different a space relative to the perception four days ago, so to speak. The Rockets, they got beat in six games. It wasn't a blowout. It was a six-game series against a 60-plus one team, a Spurs team coached by one of the greatest in the history of the NBA, and Greg Popovich. So, yeah, it's salute to them, and you're going to see a lot of folks giving credit to them. And, yeah, there were some things that uh, were not ideal down the stretch. Well, folks, there is no narrative that is going to be ideal other than the Warriors and maybe the Cavaliers or vice versa, depending on who loses in the NBA Finals. Although if the Warriors lose in the NBA Finals, I think even after all they've done, that's a bit of a failure. So, uh, really, I I think you're going to see teams, agents, the NBA community, in terms of perception, because the Rockets clearly want to get better in July, um, revert back to season long. I think that's what matters. Now, the Rockets last year, yeah, we saw you know a stigma attached to them. But the stigma wasn't attached to them because of what happened in the playoffs since the Warriors. The stigma was attached to them because they were a 41-41-8 seed and underachiever for the entire year. That was the stigma. This year, the Rockets have been an overachiever the entire year. Uh, Harden's going to be really close to MVP, runner-up in the voting. Rockets won 55 games, beat Russell Westbrook's, the, the guy who will win MVP, in five games in the first round. I don't think all of that is going to get undone because of a rocky end. Will people remember it? Yeah, they will. And, you know, it might get a wary eye here or there. But everything's on a comparative basis. And I just don't see what teams theoretically jumped the Rockets in the narratives based on, you know, how this season ended up. The Warriors and Cavaliers, certainly. I guess you could throw the Spurs in there, too. It depends on how aggressive they want to be. But, uh, you know, besides that upper tier, I don't see who isn't in the upper tier that now looks a lot sexier than the Rockets based on what happened uh, at the end of Game 5 and tonight. It's unfortunate I get the anger, but I don't think it's uh, really changed the Rockets' outlook all that much. Now, Beyond this game, because I know I just got done telling y'all I'm not writing them off as a you know big offseason player. And as I said leading off, I really think what's clear for the Rockets, they need a second all-star level player. It's really tough to build a true contender in today's NBA, especially with the bar like it is in Golden State and Cleveland, with just one all-star level player. You need at least two, and ideally more than that. For the Rockets, you're still trying to get uh, a second. That's what James Harden and uh, Gerald Morey have been searching for really Every year that James has been in Houston, and I have no doubt that they'll both be very actively uh, recruiting this summer. So who will it be? Well, obviously guys like Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin will be free agents. Also keep an eye on the trade market because you have guys such as Paul George that are rumors. And yeah, I know there will be other teams in the bidding, but um, things have a funny way of working out, especially for star players. They wield an enormous amount of power and leverage, and if you can convince them that it's a destination, it's kind of like the Lou Williams trade in the middle part of the year. Lou Williams kind of moved his way to Houston. There were other teams offering the same thing in Los Angeles, but this is what he wanted. His agent made it happen, and the Lakers went along with it because it was in uh, you know, their best interest to kind of build up a reputation with the agent community, and Lou came here, and it was a good trade. I know he's a little disappointing in this series against the Spurs, but I don't know if you beat the Thunder, certainly not in five games, 
without him. So that's a small example. Obviously, the Rockets need to acquire players bigger than Lou Williams, but that's just one example of the principle, which is uh, I do think you can be fairly aggressive in the trade market as well. In terms of creating value, other than maybe Ryan Anderson, I know a lot of folks are going to be kind of disappointed in Ryan because he doesn't give you the impact on paper that a $20 million a year player should, and the Rockets will argue that, yeah, his spacing has value, and it does to a point. Is it $20 million worth? I don't know, but I think, you know, narratives do matter, and the Rockets were at a point last night with Ryan. They had to overpay a little bit, and of course, size always gets overpaid. The Rockets had to overpay to get someone to say yes and start changing that narrative, and as disappointing as he was um, in in the playoffs this year, and season-long numbers a little underwhelming, I'm not going to kill them for that signing. That said, I'm aware of his value, and he might be the one guy who doesn't have positive trade value. But folks, outside of Ryan Anderson, I would argue that every single player on that Rockets roster has positive trade value. Especially, you look at guys like Trevor Ariza, Pat Beverly, Eric Gordon, those deals are absolute steals for the production they give you. And then you can find even more young prospects throughout the roster going forward. The Rockets, after this year, have all of their draft picks. So... I'm not going to sit here and say that they're in a bad spot financially. There's going to be a tendency to do that, saying, well, you know, Ryan's an albatross. A, that's not really true. I'm not 100% convinced that uh, he's an awful contract. And B, if you really, really needed that space, you know, theoretically you could stretch him. But let's be reasonable. Really, you have a, a cap that's going to be over $100 million. Even between James Harden, who you're obviously not trading, and Ryan Anderson, that's still below $50 million. Literally every other player on the roster has positive trade value. So if you need to create room to make room for a max free agent that wants to come, the Rockets absolutely can do that. Can they get quite to max level? Well, uh, well, first off, yes, they can. Uh, now, would they be willing to? I don't know. It depends on who the free agent is. But, well, we've seen a lot these days that the quibbling between max or near max, folks, players are going to go where they want to go. You're not going to be able to sign Gordon Hayward for pennies. You're not going to sign for the minimum. But, folks, he's not going to you know, say, well, the Rockets are one million, one million under the max, excuse me, and somebody else can offer me the full max. Well, that's going to change everything. No, players go where they want to go. They're driving the bus, and all it takes is being in the vicinity. So, yes, the Rockets, even with the Ryan Anderson contract, they have enough positive trade value, uh, all the others on the roster. That's all that matters. It's not about having cap room. It's about the flexibility, the ability to create cap room. Now, do the Rockets need to overhaul their roster? No, not necessarily. I think there's very good chemistry in that locker room. I think, in spite of what happened in the last two games, they accomplished a lot of positive things. I think uh, around James Harden, two guys like Pat Beverly and Trevor Ariza, those are um, big-time defenders, big-time culture guys. And the Rockets aren't just going to give them away. They're not just going to try and rebuild for the sake of rebuilding. All I'm pointing out is that the option is there. Because a lot of folks are going to say, well, if the Rockets want to go big-game hunting after, you know, Hayward Griffin or anybody else that might appear via the trade market. Okay, how do they how do they do that? I'm just saying they can. Now is it worth it? It'll depend on exactly who the player is, exactly who you have to give up, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. All I'm saying is keep your eyes open. We'll talk a lot more here at Lockdown Rockets in the you know weeks and months ahead as we get closer to July 1st free agency. By the way, it's only about six weeks ahead and the rumors will start even sooner than that. So that's one bit benefit of the Rockets getting this deep into the playoffs. At least uh, it's taken away the true dead period of the NBA. Uh, It's taken a lot of that away uh, because really free agency rumors get cranking at the beginning of June uh, in this day and age. So if nothing else, be thankful for that. In terms of 
who and what areas the rocket should go after. I'm not really going to say who because it's pointless to speculate this early in the game. Um, always more shooting can help in a Mike D'Antoni system. Leadership, as I said earlier, I think the guys who have been to war a little bit more, I think, uh, especially given the Rockets-Spurs dynamic, I think that Astros-Rangers parallel feels pretty appropriate. I think the Astros have clearly gained a lot from been there, done that guys like Carlos Beltran, like Brian McCann. I think there are certain culture guys that could be a good fit. But beyond that, really, I think to take the next step, it's get another all-star level player. Because folks, with one um, all-star player, think about what the Rockets did. They won 55 games. They got to the second round of the playoffs. They pushed the Spurs to six games. And, well, there were only two teams in the NBA the entire season that had a better record than the Rockets. Only two teams in the entire league had a better record than them. And one of them is who eliminated the Rockets in the playoffs. So, really, to do all that with one all-star level player, that's pretty strong. And, big picture, we can sit here and talk leadership. And they do need to improve that. Uh, I'm not going to say it's insignificant, and I do think having someone like Nene, that helped at various points this year, and certainly that can help a little bit incrementally. But truly, to take that next step to get appreciably further than the point they are right now, it's going to take more than just leadership and culture, even though I know that's going to be a popular narrative. It's going to take a further infusion of talent. Now, hopefully, what happened these last two games didn't really change the narrative, their uh, appeal to free agents that much. I don't think it has, for the reason I just got done stating. But uh, that'll be the thing to watch. Because really for the Rockets, they, they had a good season. In spite of how painful this is now, let's not let it take away from the fact that they overachieved like crazy. Gave us a ton of really fun moments. Um, they really restored the image of the franchise in a lot of ways. And all of that doesn't go away with a very frustrating close to Game 5 and then a no-show in Game 6. It's frustrating, but... Big picture, the Rockets still did some really good things, and, well, the point at which they went out in the playoffs is about what you would expect, given the regular season performance and also given the uh, limitations in terms of the lack of true top-end talent on the roster. James Harden, in spite of what happened in Game 6, still a phenomenal player, one of the top two in the NBA when it comes to the MVP validating for a reason. He was that good in the regular season, but after him, there's a lot of pretty good pieces who can be very good on a given night but no, not even any consistent, very good pieces, let alone uh, consistent all-star level pieces after Harden. So if you want to go after a 60-plus win Spurs team, or especially the Warriors and the Cavaliers, it's all going to come down to talent. That's the, that's the big thing. We can talk about leadership right now, and it is a shame that that's what happened. But big picture, the Rockets aren't really appreciably different in terms of their long-term outlook now than they were four days ago. It stings a lot in the short term, but long term, they're right where we thought they were um, really for the last few months. They're close, but they're not all the way there. And starting July is going to be a big, big opportunity to see if the Rockets and Daryl Morey can further close that gap. Anyway, at that point, I will wrap up today's show because really I don't know what else to say in terms of the off-season storylines. We'll be beating those around for the next few weeks, so we're going to have plenty of time to uh, talk about that. If you want to reach out to me about any ideas or questions you all have, Twitter at Ben Dubose or at Lockdown Rockets. That's the show handle. Also, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. Questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, anything you want to know about the Rockets or to make this a better show, don't hesitate to, um, to let me know. As far as the immediate future of the show, folks, I'm not really making this into a big goodbye. I will say thanks for tuning in throughout the season. Certainly, our listening numbers were great in the playoffs. But, folks, being a Rockets fan and following the NBA, 
it's not just about the season. It's a journey. And really, some of the things that get done in the offseason, you look back towards the Dwight Howard deal in July 2013, which I know it, it ended in a sour note, but generally, uh, well, number one, signing Dwight was amazing. And then uh, Dwight definitely took the Rockets on their furthest run since the 90s championship teams. And he was tremendous in those first two playoff runs. So yeah, that was a big deal. Last offseason, kind of starting to turn the image a little bit with the signings of Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, then the extension with James Harden, getting him to commit to the franchise. This offseason means a lot. And now the Rockets going to be going into the offseason, 55 wins, a lot of positive things at their backs. So, yeah, we're here on a daily basis in the regular season. But we're going to be here on a regular basis in the offseason, too. So I'm not really going to say goodbye. We're going to be right right there with you. And I hope you guys will just keep uh, tuning in in the weeks and months ahead as we get closer to free agency, closer to the draft. Rockets don't have their first round pick. They traded to the Lakers in the Lou Williams trade. But it's a pretty deep draft. They do have two picks in the 40s in the second round. And so that... Uh, will be an opportunity to get a couple of quality players. I don't know if they'll be immediate contributors, but more than anything, it helps to build your pipeline of, of future talent because it makes it all the easier if you do need to trade You know, a veteran, a veteran, for example, if you need to trade, say, I don't know, Trevor Ariza, the fact that you have a Sam Decker playing for pennies right behind him, that gives you flexibility. Again, I'm not saying the Rockets will definitely do that. I'm just saying when you consistently build quality players young players through the draft, even if they don't pay immediate dividends, just the flexibility that it gives a GM like Daryl Morey to have the ability to trade some of these good regulars if they need it to get potentially a great player. That's a big deal. So yeah, the draft is going to matter too. But yeah, um, we'll be with you on a daily basis. Appreciate y'all so much for tuning in throughout the season. Like I said, just uh, stick with us because we should have a lot more content in the days and weeks ahead. As far as immediate future, the Rockets will have their exit interviews either Friday or Saturday. It'll be interesting to see what they say because certainly this was a very sour end to the year, but I don't really anticipate anything too groundbreaking. I think these guys have been around the blocks too many times to uh, lose their minds over what amounts to a bad five-quarter stretch to end the season. They know how great they were over the course of the year. They also know what their limitations were. And I think they knew that at some point, deep down, it was going to catch up with them. Maybe they thought it would come against Golden State and San Antonio, but I think they knew they weren't a perfect team. Some of their flaws did eventually get exposed. And while they're disappointed, and rightfully so, I don't think there's going to be anything where you have finger-pointing or the chemistry's been undone or anything like that. I think they'll say that uh, they're going to go to the offseason, work hard. I'm sure they will. I think it's a great locker room, a lot of good guys. I think the work ethic is good. And then... You know, as far as where the Rockets go from here, it's a good team. Can they become, you know, a truly elite team? Can they take that next step? Well, it's going to come down to July free agency and how much Joe Murray can further upgrade this roster over the offseason. So look forward to covering it in the weeks ahead. I know it stings now, and so I don't want to go on forever. I know a lot of you guys want to be mad, but, um, you know... You don't have to let it consume you. There's a lot of positive things ahead for the Rockets. This isn't as difficult as the job Daryl had uh, just 12 months ago. So there's a lot of reasons to think that this roster could be further improved in a couple of months. And if you stick with me right here at Locked on Rockets, uh, we should have you covered. So for now, I'll sign off again. Uh, incredibly un unhappy final, 114, one, uh, 114 to 75. Not even used to saying a Rockets score that doesn't start with 100. But yeah, 39-point loss at home in Game 6 to end the series, end the season, in the second round against San Antonio Spurs. Uh, props to the Spurs. They'll advance to 
play the Warriors. Uh, really, as far as the Rockets, like I said, it was never really about this game. This was about uh, the end of Game 5, and the Rockets just unfortunately could not recover in two days, and now they'll have a long off season to think about things. So anyway, uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. I'll be talking with you again the next couple of days with whatever we learn out of the exit interviews. And then uh, starting next week, we'll turn our focus a little more specifically to potential free agency, draft targets, trade targets, anything you all want to throw out there. We'll start talking a little more specific about the offseason in the days ahead. For now, have a good night, or well, as, as decent a night as you possibly can, given the circumstances.